Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Lots of life lurks in our ocean and we can find it using some interesting ways. Now DNA and RNA can help us sequence and identify life that's lurking in our ocean, from the smallest of types of viruses to some more larger creatures that lurk around reefs that are hard to spot. The way we can use sequencing techniques to better understand our ocean. We've all become tremendously more aware of viruses in the last couple of years. As the global pandemic's really taken hold and settled in, well, we've all had to deal with understanding and learning about how viruses evolve and change, and how many of them are out there that we weren't aware of, but yet can impact the world in such amazing ways. And viruses are really important. Some scientists call them things that are on the edge of life, some things that resemble something like life, or some actually classify them, yeah, as a life-type thing. In any case, viruses are a very fascinating aspect of let's call it stuff here on earth and the thing is a lot of the time when we talk about viruses we're talking about viruses that impact humans or animals or plants but there are way more viruses than that and the thing is well we only study really what we're interested in and those tend to be things that materially affect our day-to-day lives either through us directly or through plants and for animals but there are so many other types of viruses out there and and when you think about the planet Earth itself, well, just like how there are so many viruses out there, there are also so much water out there. In fact, there's more water on Earth than there is land. It's pretty self-evident if you look at the globe. But now think about all the life that we have here on the land and how sometimes we are amiss it, not able to study or understand all of it. Then we get down to microbial life here on the land and how we understand some of it, but really only a handful. Now imagine... That's only the 30%. Now, the remaining 70%, life in the oceans, or of microbes, of fish, deep-sea creatures, but also of viruses as well. There's so much water there that really we barely understand what goes on in our oceans. And that is what researchers have been trying to tackle, getting a better understanding of the things that are lurking in our oceans. And one of the reasons why they're so keen to do this is because why we may not think about it, Just like in the case of the pandemic, a virus can have a huge outsized impact on the entire world around it. And if that can happen on land to humans, well, another virus in the oceans can have a similar interaction with their food chain or ecosystems in the oceans themselves. Not saying there's about to be a pandemic in the oceans, far from it. I'm more saying that the ecosystems and food webs inside our oceans are intricately connected and also influenced by things like viruses. So understanding what's there in the ocean is incredibly important for understanding how all life works in the ocean. You've got to start really low down to understand sometimes the big picture. And viruses and microbial life are certainly at that lower end. Now, a large team of researchers, including researchers from Ohio State University, as well as the Tara Oceans Consortium and the nonprofit Tara Ocean Foundation, have been diving into the oceans and taking all kinds of samples. Now, this journal, now this paper was published in the journal Science, and lead author was Ahmed Azayed, and there's a large list of collaborators from across the globe on this paper. And these researchers took a huge amount of samples, and specially made vessels, around 35 thousand water samples from across the globe all part of the tara oceans consortium project a global ongoing study group 
that travelled around on the boat, the schooner Tara, to study the impact of climate change on the world's oceans. Now, that's the purpose of that research vessel, and while they were doing that, they took all kinds of samples. Now, these samples were then studied by scientists who were really trying to understand the way in which microbial life changes and can be monitored across the oceans. Now, microbes are essential contributors to basically all life on the planet, either as a food source or as some kind of influence on the process or something that builds a larger object that can be then consumed. Microbes have a really important role to play, not just for ourselves, but also all life. And the thing is, viruses can infect or interact with these microbes and microbial organisms. And that can change the behavior of these microbes themselves. Now, the types of viruses are believed to have like, kind of like three main functions, and we want to think about it really broadly. They can kill cells, they could change how infected cells manage their energy, or they can transfer their genes from one host to another. Now, these three different things that a virus can do is really important because this actually can have a huge influence on the microbes around them and thus also the entire marine ecosystem. And for example, coming back to the purpose of this research virtual, which is to study the impacts of climate change, one of the things that microbes have a really interesting role to play with is actually how much carbon is sequestered into the ocean. This might seem strange. How can a microbe in fact or understand or interact with climate change. Well, the thing is, when we think about gas like carbon dioxide, to sequester carbon, you actually have to put it somewhere. Now, obviously, a large creature like a fish or a dolphin or a whale or a human, they can't normally just grab a piece of carbon and stick it down into the ground or convert it into the ocean somehow. It requires a bit more processing on a chemical on a really low level, a microbial molecular level. And that's what microbes do. They take processes that actually help or either directly or govern the overall process by which things like carbon are sequestered and stored in the ocean. A lot of scientists think that the microbes are actually the knob on the biological pump affecting how much carbon is actually stored in the ocean. That's an example of a way a microbe can influence and interact with really large systems. So if that's what a microbe's doing, if a virus is there interacting with that particular carbon sequestration microbe, for example, if a virus came through and wiped them all out, well, that would be bad news for our climate because then less carbon would be sequestered into our oceans. Not great. Now, these are things that people want to understand. What can viruses do and how can they interact with it? And people have been taking samples of the ocean for a long time to try and really understand this, which is like Professor Matthew Sullivan, a professor of microbiology at the Ohio State University, have been studying the ocean and with the microbial life in it for a long time. And in particular, they've been looking at different types of viruses found inside the ocean. They started trying to categorize these viruses back in 2015. They had a few thousand different ones that they could categorize. And then by 2016, they had grown to 200,000 all the way in 2019. That's a large increase from a few thousand all the way up to 200,000. And in this most recent study, they've identified 5,000 new species of RNA types of viruses. And in fact, a whole brand new phylum to represent and capture all of these RNA type viruses. Okay, just for those of you who may not remember, in the categorization system that we, we like to use in the biological world, it goes species, the difference between species, then genus, family, order, class, phylum, and kingdom. So 
finding a whole new filer is like really like saying there's a whole new massive avenue of the tree that has just been discovered. That is a pretty interesting and terrifying thing to think of that just in this recent simple sample study where they only took, you know, 35,000, which is a lot, but actually when you think about the ocean, isn't that much. They managed to find a whole new phylum. Just goes to show how much of life in the ocean is just not studied or understood to nearly enough detail. Now, the thing is, in these samples of water, how are the researchers actually able to detect viruses? Well, if you take something with DNA, it's relatively straightforward. You can sequence that DNA. But with the RNA virus, there's no particles to study. Instead, the researchers actually extracted the sequences from genes expressed in organisms found floating in the sea, and then narrowed down that analysis to look for a signature gene called RDRP. Now, RDRP has been around for billions, literally billions of years in RNA. It is not found in pretty much any other type of virusal cells. Only RNA viruses have this particular gene, RDRP. Now, it diverged from the rest of life so long ago, three or four billion years. It's an amazing thing to use as a marker. It's only found in RNA viruses and nothing else. So if you see that, then you know you found a new type of RNA virus. And they had a lot of data. So from the 35,000 samples of water, they ended up with 44,000 new sequences, not just repeat ones, brand new sequences. And then they had to process all of those sequence divergences, track them and trace them out and try to sort of categorize them in a representation. Now, this is where they started to use machine learning and supercomputers to process all of this data. 3D representations of the sequence structures that could then be used to cluster and group all of these samples that they've got is okay, this is kind of like this one, this is like this one. And from that, they developed 5,500 new species that were all very different from the five existing phyla of RNA viruses, which means a whole new phyla had to be developed. This method had found basically a whole new phyla of RNA viruses lurking under our noses in the ocean, probably been around for billions of years. And the thing is, it wasn't just one phyla that they found. It was actually five entire new phylas that they could classify as independent. And what was even more amazing that they found new phyla, new types or classes of viruses. And this is all just amazing the amount of detail that has actually been found just in the oceans. And it all stems from one of the most ancient of genes, RDRP, something that's been around actually for almost, we think, longer than DNA as a concept existed. So in this study, they're not only tracking the amount of RNA viruses in our oceans, categorizing and understanding them and how they interact with the things in their ecosystems, but also basically looking at the origins of life itself and how it has developed and evolved and changed here, not just on our land, but also in our oceans. Remembering also that's where life really began on this planet. This is some amazing and far-reaching studies of what is in our oceans on a really, really tiny level. How ancient viruses, RNA viruses, carry with them genes and markers that are so distinct from anything else here on this planet. They give us an insight not only into early life, but how they have a contributing role into large things governing our planet. Great paper published in the journal Science. Lead author was Ahmed Sayed and Elijah Stiklar.
course, taking samples and sequencing DNA works for viruses, but it also works for things that are much larger. Now, researchers from ETH University in Zurich and University of Montpellier in France have recently published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society uh, results of a detailed study from 2017 and 2019 where researchers collected 226 water samples from 26 different sites in five tropical marine regions, brought all that back, and then used electronic environmental DNA technique, eDNA. In, in this eDNA study mechanism, like we talked about with the case of viruses, they sequenced a lot of the samples that they found to try and confirm or understand better the species living on a reef or around it. This environmental DNA technique is really interesting because it can help identify species and families just by residual DNA shed by the animals present in the water. Now, this is really important because normally how we would categorize species that live in a particular region or location is by observing them or looking for indirect means of observing them like trace elements, either signs of waste, signs of food, signs of tracks. Now, in the oceans, you can't really pick up tracks like you would here on land and waste can be a bit ambiguous. And the same is like adaption or the ways of predation impacts the ecosystem around them. These things are more difficult to do in the ocean, so actually we pretty much often rely on visual identification. And visual identification is really great, but it also has some limits. Time of day, visibility in the oceans, and also the depth of the ocean itself. Even when you think about something like a reef, not everything that interacts with the reef ecosystem actually spends its time at the reef, most of it anyway. Sometimes they are just briefly going through it and then returning to the depths, which makes it hard for an observation team to catch them at the right moment. So, normal observation style techniques have their limitations. And when researchers applied this environmental DNA sampling technique, taking these marine samples from 226 water locations, 26 sites, what they saw was that organisms live behind all kinds of genetic material that can be sequenced. Now, of course, these are just fragments and you have to isolate them and build a catalog in a library. And then you have to try and tie that back to a sequence that you actually know. That's tricky work, but with this, and it, the, that's why this paper is only being published now, because it requires a lot, a lot of work. And the thing is, a lot of the time, fish species are pretty secretive. So actually finding out how you can tie it back to a species that you know about is really difficult. But one of the big findings out of this particular method is that they found a 16% higher diversity of reef fishes that they would have otherwise done through conventional survey measures, like you know visual observation during dives. Now, it meant they could identify fish species faster and way more fish families than just through normal observations alone. But the observations still have an actual really important role. Now, the researchers discovered a lot more species swimming in the open water called pelagic, and also different types of reef-bound fishes and species that inhabit numerous caves and crevices in the reefs, often called cryptobethnic. Divers often have difficulty finding this type of fish because pelagic open water fish, they're a bit harder to see because they may not be on the reef and also the ones lurking in those caves and crevices, well, you know, they've got to come out for the divers to actually see them. And with the pelagic fish in the open sea, they actually prefer being way out in the open or at deep depths, again, not easily found for a diver. An example of this is mackerel and tuna from the family Scombridae, as well as sharks from the family Cachinhidae, requiem sharks, the black reef tip shark. 
Now, these species are particularly important for reefs, though, because in their larval stage, actually involved in the coral reefs themselves, or especially as part of their nocturnal migrations through the reef. So these fish, even though they're open water fish, can still play a pretty significant role with the reef itself. Now, the thing is, the sequence of DNA is a good method, but you still have to know that a species exists in the first place, or at least have some evidence to understand it. Because reference databases that have all the sequence DNA in them may not be complete enough for you to be able to identify something from a fragment of the DNA that you discover. Thing is with the eDNA technique, environmental DNA, often you're looking at fragments. Now, if you have a complete fully sequenced genome, great, you can identify a species right away. But if you don't, or even if you have a reference database that has some of the pointers for a related species, something in the family or the genus, that's really helpful, but it doesn't give you a complete picture. And there's certain types of wrasses or blennies that that really doesn't work for as easily because the reference data just isn't there. So they found a lot of sequenced DNA, but they don't actually have anything to match that up to yet. So visual techniques are still incredibly important, and as is building that reference database of actual sequenced genomes. But it highlights the amazing diversities in our oceans and reefs, way more than we thought before, and how DNA can help us identify creatures that we can't easily see or observe through other mechanisms. Even if we don't have a complete picture right now, it's a great framework that can be built upon in years to come. It's a great work published in the Proceedings of the Royal Society, with researchers from ETH Zurich and University of Montpellier in France. And lead author on this page was Letitia Mahon. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. There's a lot of life in our ocean, and if you use sequencing techniques, you can find all kinds of new RNA viruses, as well as all kinds of fish that can otherwise be difficult to spot when you're diving through. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.